Hey, what's up? How's it? Aloha. Welcome to Culture Rise. This is where we get to come hang out with some friends, special guests, and everyday Hawaiians that are perpetuating culture somehow in their life. We're going to get right into it. My guest joining me today. I've known this brother since we can remember. High school days, we were boarders at the oldest school west of the Mississippi. We'll find out what school that is. Um, and I'm pretty sure we can have an entire show on just the things we got into at that high school. Anyway, uh, he's a graduate of that high school and also Harvard, received a PhD in political science from the University of Hawaii Manoa, uh, teaches Hawaiian history at the Kamehameha Schools, uh, is a lecturer at the Matsunaga Institute of Peace and Conflict Resolution at UH Manoa, a former Fulbright scholar. His research focuses on Hawaiian land tenure. Uh, he's got over 50 publications written for the nation, um, Hawaii Review, the Contemporary Pacific, and uh, many, many other publications. He's a regular contributor to, of course, Kavai Ola, the Office of Hawaiian Affairs uh, newsletter. Co-wrote the screenplay for the feature film The Islands. And, of course, my very good friend and fellow boarder, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Umi Perkins. So, of course, with uh, CDC, we're going to always... It's a cultural show. I'd give it on you, but that's for you. Mahalo for being here. Le Kukui, as we know, uh, the Kukui, the, the lay that everybody sees, represents knowledge. Right, the kukui is the light, and that's knowledge, and you have. So, local culture, every time we see each other, you meet somebody new that we don't know each other, what high school you went? Well, let me preface it by saying <laughs> I, I often get, um, uh, you went to Kamehameha, right? Do you remember this and this? And I always say, don't be sacrilegious, Lahaina Luna. Uh, Give me high fives for that. Yeah. Oldest school in Hawaii. Um, a lot of people think Punahou is the oldest, but Lahaina Luna is uh, 10 years older. 1831. Isn't it funny how you always feel good when somebody does that? Oh, you went to Kamehameha. And in the other, uh, another show I was talking about, all my Kamehameha friends, I always say, you're welcome. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I said, if not for Lahaina Luna, education wouldn't be here. But um, do you get that a lot? People assume Kamehameha, Punahou, Iolani. And when you, what, what, do they, what is their reaction when you say Lahaina Luna? Uh, some people say, where is that? And I have to I'm say, uh, in Lahaina, <laughs> Maui. But um, then they think, you know, I'm from Maui. But um, being a boarder, you know, uh -huh. that makes for some confusion. But, um, yeah, it makes for a really unique uh, experience we have, you know, growing up uh, culturally. Um, I always think of Lahaina Luna as kind of uh, the industrial Hawaiian experience. I, I mean, like yeah, we had malama'aina growing uh -huh. food on the farm, but we were... I hate to say the spring DDT right on the in the eighties on those crops. People was, never believe me. People yeah. never believe that we were maskless. We had jeans and a T-shirt on, and that big, huge uh, canister of, of DDT and roundup. Steel toe boots, though. Steel, steel toe <laughs> boots. Can't forget those. So Lahaina Luna, if you didn't know, is it's the oldest school west of the Mississippi, and it's the only public boarding school in pretty much America, right? And you and I had the opportunity. So me being originally from Lanai, every male in my family went there. So I went. Um, what was your, because you guys at the time were living where? Before high school, before we met. Yeah, so we had gone, when I was nine, my, mm -hmm. my whole family moved, moved to the South Pacific, to nice. Tonga, the kingdom uh -huh. of Tonga. So I lived there for almost 60 years. And um, Tonga is a very, very slow place, maybe like <laughs> Lanai. Um, right. So it's a great place. I, I, I'm very fortunate to have lived there, but um, 
uh, not a great place for a teenager looking for excitement. So Lahaina mm-hmm. Luna is a way for us to come without our parents um, come back. And my grandmother went to Lahaina Luna. That's right. Um, I was going to say, so both of us, there, there's this lineage that we had. So was it one of those things that parents and grandparents were like, well, you're, that's where you're going to have to go? It was, um, uh, there was no way to go to Kamehameha because of the, the application window. Oh, so right. Lahaina Luna... Um, it just made sense when, when we started to think about it. And so I know that you're at Kamehameha now. So <laughs> this is the question. If you had that choice in your adult life now, where would you have chosen? Lahaina Luna or Kamehameha? I think about that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, Lahaina Luna, academically, it's uh-huh. not one of the top schools. But right. when I think about the discipline that mm-hmm. we got in the boarding department, I credit that with a lot of the things that I've been able to uh, see through to uh, to completion. I mean, a, a lot of people start PhDs and don't finish, right. and that takes a lot of endurance. Um, so I kind of credit being able to finish while working and having a family to two things, Lahaina Luna and um, distance running. I think both of those things gave me a lot of stamina to be able to kind of follow it through to the and that's, that's what I, I, I like that you say that because Lahaina Luna was that a huge part of my adult life. So a lot of people think it's weird for me when I say how much I've brought with me from high school. But I don't think they realize I, we lived in it. So let's talk about that. Your, your professional life now, do you see, are there moments when you go, like we were talking about earlier, like, whoa. That's I got my PhD because I was a distance runner. Um, I knew what it meant to finish things. Do you share that with your kids? I do. It's a, it's one of those things where um, sometimes I'll tell them that well, I'm one of the few people in my generation who can say, you know, in my day we had it hard because <laughs> most people our age, it's kind of like, oh, I used to have to stand up and turn the channel by hand, right. and that's about it. Life was pretty easy, <laughs> but for us, I mean, twenty hours a week working in the I mean, the name La Haina means cruel sun, right? I mean, it was like brutal, um, digging ditches, uh, making sprinkler systems, you know. Uh, I, I always like to think that's why we went another way. Like I'm thinking, man, we were, we were building things. We were digging holes. We were picking fruits. We were taking care of swine and, and feeding, uh, collecting slop. And I'm thinking, wait, maybe we better go that educational route and not dig holes for the rest of our life. Is that what kind of, I mean, were you on that route already? Well, when I, when I think about Lahaina Luna and then what I do now, I think the big uh, connection is uh, this, this idea of tradition. Uh, mm-hmm. We were pretty strong into the traditions. I've been mean, going up to the, um, you know, the Pu'upa'u Pa'u mm-hmm. and visiting David Malo's mm-hmm. grave. David Malo is the greatest Hawaiian scholar of all time, in, right. in my opinion. Um, and he's buried up there. He wanted to be away from the encroachment of Western, um, you know, sort of ticking things over. And, um, and it never did reach up to the top of that mountain. Uh, yeah. And then singing Yonder Lahaina Mountains oh, on the man. top, you know, it's I mean, uh, those traditions, again, it was kind of a little bit industrial, but um, between that and, and living in Tonga, because Tonga was kind of like Hawaii in the 1880s, in wow. the 1980s wow. when I was there, they had horses and carts. Mm. The constitution of Tonga is basically borrowed or plagiarized from the Hawaiian constitution of 1852 wow. in the kingdom. 
And so it was like living in Hawaii a hundred years earlier. And so between that and the Lahaina Luna kind of traditions, it's almost like a f- predestined for me to become a Hawaiian history teacher. So that's sort of how I think of it now in retrospect. And you're never going to know these things at the time <laughs> that they're happening. You know, you just want to do other things that teenagers want to do, but um, you're, you're, you're learning your lessons. I, l- I like that. I, I like the fact that, that these things that we've learned and we're doing in Lahaina Luna affect us today, which now brings us to today. What, what have you been focusing on recently? So you've got publications, you've been writing. Um, I always love going to your, your Facebook, Mo'olala Hawaii. Uh, what, are you, what are you focusing on recently? So I, I like to intertwine all my projects. So I, I teach high school kids, but I noticed when I had uh, open house that the parents would come and they always say, I, I wish I could be in your class. And the students rarely say that. So <laughs> I started to catch on that adults are actually the ones who are interested uh-huh. in Hawaiian history. And so kind of on a whim, I started this small little Hawaiian history group on Facebook. And it grew without me putting in any effort to, um, it's just short of 5,000 wow. members now, which is, that's not like Gangnam style, but right. it's um, <laughs> for something it's, academic, that's yeah. absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, so the interest is there, and I started to, uh, and I have my blog, mm-hmm. which I started again on a whim, was a joke, I called it the Umiverse. And it you've had it how many years now? Uh, it started in the very end of 2011. So you were like, you were blogging before blogging was blogs. Oh, it, it, was, <laughs> it was still kind of a right. new thing. I just wanted another venue for my ideas, and then um, Is that one culturally that based? took off. Uh, that was just, that's more of you. Right, it, it's thoughts, me and all the aspects, but um, a lot of it, the, the, the readership is, yeah. is uh, all, they're interested in Hawaiian history. I, I wrote a, a review of Downton Abbey once and nobody read it. Like, <laughs> they don't care what I think about Downton Abbey. But uh, when I wrote um, Five Misconceptions of Hawaiian History, that one had 2,000 views yeah. in a day. It's almost 200,000 views over the That's like, what I want to talk about in a, in a few, right after this break. Can, I want to talk about some significant Hawaii timeline things that happened in Hawaii that made us or brought us to where we are today. Can we do that? Yeah. Um, of course, the Hawaiian history timeline is huge. Is there certain points in the timeline that stands out to you or you teach your, your kids that not a lot of people know, um, even outside Hawaii, but outside of Hawaii, that made us who we are today? Like, I'll, yeah. I'll leave that up to you. Where would you, where would you want to start? Yeah, when you think about... Um, things that influenced us today you have it it sort of draws you into these what-if scenarios Mm -hmm. like what if so this happened what if something else Mm -hmm. had happened so I think one of the most interesting what-if scenarios in Hawaiian history is um, dealing with Queen Emma so in there I don't know if a lot of people know but Hawaii had elected monarchs right Um, Luna Lilo King Luna Lilo in 1872 and King Kalakaua in 1874 were both elected and in that election in 1874, Kalaka was running against Queen Emma. Now, the first political party in Hawaii was actually the supporters of Emma. It was called the Emmaites, no or way. sometimes called the Queenites. So, you know, first of all, why is the Queen Emma running to be queen That's if she's right. already queen? Um, she's running to be the monarch, the actual mm-hmm. head of state. She's queen by virtue of being married to Kamehameha IV. So she's a widow of the king. So... Um, it seems the new research coming out is saying that she actually had the popular support. And if there had been a popular election, she would have won. 
uh, but there wasn't. The, the Constitution called for a um, election only of the legislature. Wow. So Kalakaua won, won with a vote of 39 to 6. And so the big what-if question to me is, what if Emma had won? Uh-huh. You know, she had the support, right. just not in the legislature, because Kalakaua was seen as more amenable mm-hmm. to sugar. Wow. Um, if Emma had won, she was much more pro-British. Mm-hmm. And so there would have been less American influence in that period. There had already been strong British influence under Kamehameha the Fourth and Fifth, and that would have probably continued on. She was a quarter English herself. She was raised in the Church of England, so there's all this English influence. England had already signed a treaty saying they'll never take over Hawaii. So, you know, you, you can draw your own conclusion so about we, what... So we would be sitting here, what if we would be sitting here with British accents? Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is bizarre to me. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's a huge... So this this happened in what years in Hawaii? About... So 1874, uh, that's, you know, the first right. elected monarchy dies. He had uh, tuberculosis, mm-hmm. so he reigned for only 13 months. Wow. So there's a quickly another election, and, uh, and Kalakaua ends up having a long reign after that. Uh, he reigns longer than Emma lived. Um, but then I'm, I'm very pro-Emma. My, mm-hmm. my wife is the principal of St. Andrew's Priory, which she um, founded uh-huh. uh, along with Queen's Hospital. So Emma's a major, major figure to me that's not appreciated quite as much as she should be. Mm-hmm. From there, other other things that stick out. I, I like that. I like how you put it, the what-ifs, the what-ifs in history. Um, what are the things in history on our timeline that would actually, in, in that terms, make us not what we are today, which is crazy. We could be having British accents. What if? What are the things that you see in, historically that could have changed us drastically? Yeah, so the other big one that stands out, there's a character that I'm always fascinated with, which um, his name is Albert Kunuyakea, mm-hmm. and uh, he was the son of Kamehameha III, but illegitimate. Uh, his mother was wow. not Kamehameha III's wife. He, uh, she was the daughter of John Young, and so he could have been king, and that would have changed things. Hold that. I, I want to get into that because this is the first time yeah. hearing of that. So when I think about it, he, he's born two years before Kamehameha III died. Uh, this is Albert Kunuyakea is his name. That's a pretty radical name. If you think about it, it's a god of war. I was just going <laughs> to say. So um, so he, he, he's not the heir to the throne. Um, the, the, the young chief who becomes Kamehameha IV, mm-hmm. Alexander Liholiho, is heir to the throne. But if you think about it, uh, Albert is is the grandson of Kamehameha I. I mean, he's a very much in a direct line. But because the missionaries had come in with this idea of illegitimacy, which never existed before, right. he's not in the line for wow. the throne. If he had been, he would have been he would have been Kamehameha IV. So he would be Kamehameha IV from eighteen fifty four, and he lived till nineteen o three. So we'd have had a king on the throne for forty years. At the time of the overthrow, if you have this older, strong male monarch who's been wow. on the throne so long, like does it make the overthrow less likely at, in 1893 wow. than when you have Liliu on the throne? Uh, the, the sugar growers wanted Liliu because they thought a woman won't be right. as strong. They ended up being wrong about that. But there's all these what-if scenarios. Start I was going to say, what's explode. crazy to me is the influence, even back then, Oh yeah. in it's a monarchy, but then you're thinking, wow, how political is it? So it was, it was the politics in monarchy was heavy. 
Yeah, it was not. Um, in fact, there was a there was a Hawaiian political party that wanted a republic. They wanted a president. Uh, Wilcox, Robert mm -hmm. Wilcox, was the head of that party, the Liberal Party, and so you had. Uh, Hawaiians who opposed the queen in a way, but when she was overthrown, they ended up fighting to reinstate her. Uh, that's the rebellion in 1895. So what if, I'm just, I'm thinking about it right now, in your opinion, in your manao, if he was king at the time of the overthrow, you think it would have happened? Or he would have just said, you know, I'm killing all of you. It, it's really <laughs> hard to say. I think it, you could safely say it makes it less likely because... Uh, He's just, the, the grandson of Kamehameha I is on the throne. So his, you already his, his know. His authority, <laughs> his right to rule is unquestionable. That's crazy. But for the illegitimate aspect. That's so. a huge what if. That's, I, I didn't realize that's, that could have yeah. changed the whole entire trajectory of who we are today. I mean, as far, wow. Much so. <laughs> wow, that's, that's unreal. Um, moving on with history, um, one last thing short that, that, another thing that would have changed who we are? Well, I, I think we should get into the, uh, the area that I've done the most research in. Um, you mentioned just, it was land tenure yes. is my area. Um, my, my dissertation was on the Kuleana Act, and I think what a lot of people don't know about that, um, the, the common received wisdom is that uh, uh, that led to the loss of land, the privatizing land in the Mahele in 1848. Um, which created the system that we still mm -hmm. live in today, um, led to the loss of land. But actually, what that system did was embed the rights to land for Makainana. Mm -hmm. And that's what we saw on Kauai with, uh, with um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark, yeah. is he has to fight all these heirs who still have claims in that land mm -hmm. in his 700-acre parcel. So it's very, very relevant today, something that goes back to 1848, 1850. Is it just more difficult to fight it today? I mean, because did they have palapala? Did they have paper back then that said, hey, I, I am the heir, or as we know, as we're an oral society, or oral culture, I mean, how do they prove that? No, they did have paper, but um, some of the, the lands were named by name only, not by maps. Ah, and see. so you had to get a survey done, and that cost, um, th the cost was prohibitive for some. But... Um, the, the main problem is there's so many heirs to those to those lands and that's uh, you know you might be a one four hundredth heir to a uh, land that so we we could never even know I mean there's there's so how much how much land is there right now that <laughs> yeah no you have to do the research yeah. uh, parcel by parcel wow. uh, so there's a guy in Lahaina who wow. actually got his land back from Pioneer Mill um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so he's the one whenever people ask him how did you do it he says do your homework so homework, study the land tenure system. Homework and fight. Homework the the and rights fight. are there. They're mm -hmm. embedded in there even wow. today. Wow. So that's something most people don't know. Quick question as we, as we slowly wrap up. When you grew up learning culture, being in the culture, even Tongan culture, Hawaiian culture, how do you see culture today, I mean, being practiced in your manao, in your, in your thoughts? Is it too much? Is hmm. it too less? Is it, what do you think? Yeah. I'm very um, encouraged by the, the Hawaiian Renaissance, which started in the early 70s, mm -hmm. um, that it's still, uh, it's stronger than it's ever been, really. And so the way I think about it is that it's sort of like the, the base of the pyramid, if you like the, mm -hmm. um, 
the people, Hawaiian people, are building up that base. Uh, the pinnacle might be sort of like the rulership, but the base has to be there. And that's the, that's the culture, that's institutions and education. You heard it from Dr. Umi. It's all about the culture and how your culture rises. Stay risen. Welcome back to Culture Rise, sitting with my good friend, Dr. Umi Perkins. Um, you guys are uh, in for a treat. we got the extended version right now. You want to see more of it, uh, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we want to get right back into land tenure. That's what you studied. Um, and we're talking about land tenure back from the Mahele. How much does that affect us even today? Yeah, I think a good jumping in point is this gate that we see on the, um, oh. the, the public access mm-hmm. to the beach in Kailua. Um, so that is a blocking of um, access rights, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so the PASH decision said in 1995 that um, there should be open access to Mauka and Makai, mm-hmm. the ocean and the mountains. And so gates like that are, uh, as far as I can tell, absolutely illegal. Right. But um, that's one part of what they call native tenant rights. And the mm-hmm. other part of native tenant rights is actually in the Mahele, in the, in the Constitution mm-hmm. of 1840, the right to get a fee simple property, which is way, way beyond wow. access rights, wow. right? That's how Hawaiians initially got these lands that they call Kuleana lands. Mm-hmm. And so uh, part of what I've said in my research is that, um, that the access rights have sort of overshadowed the, the more fundamental rights to get um, <clears throat> fee simple title. And then the question is, what was the deadline for doing that? Um, that's, a, that's a very difficult question because the, the, it was pushed all the way back into 1909. So in the territory, they're still doing these um, wow. uh, granting out of kuleana rights and giving free land to Hawaiians. It's essential. <laughs> it, it's it, just to say they were giving free land to Hawaiians, and look at us today. We're just we like we got to fight tooth and nail. We got to yeah. go through courts. We got to go through. It's really bizarre to me, and we we can go on and on about that. But um, it's amazing of the things you hear and the, the revelations of, of land tenure and how easy it should be, right? And it's not. Yeah, I, I think the, the the fundamental thing is um, why is it free land? Uh, and the reason is that in the Constitution it says. Uh, the land is owned by three classes, the king, the chiefs, which is r- really described as konohiki, or mm-hmm. managers, and the makainana, mm-hmm. or what they call the hoa'aina. And so together they own all the land, so why did they get it for free? Because they already own it. And that, that's a fundamental it, thing that a lot I of people don't, say, don't yeah. really understand. It's not giving away land. Mm-hmm. It's dividing out the interest in the land that you're already the partial owner of. That's what the mahele was. It's always going to intrigue me. Something else that intrigues me, history teacher, we know how we were taught history growing up, <laughs> elementary through high school. Yeah. Um, how, today, as, as a Hawaiian, specific Hawaiian history teacher and a Kanaka, how, how do you think Hawaiian history is being taught today, not just in Hawaii, but you know, outside of here? Thoughts on that? Oh, <laughs> God, well, outside of here, be, that's a whole... Uh, yeah. Uh, but um, I don't want, it's easy to just criticize. I should uh. say at, uh, kind of at the outset that um, the state of Hawaii, you know, much to its credit, requires Hawaiian history mm-hmm. in the public schools. That's something they didn't necessarily have to do. Um, and so every public school student gets it. They get a Hawaiian 
culture kind of class in fourth mm-hmm. grade. They get a, a Hawaiian kingdom in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and then they get modern Hawaiian history in ninth grade, and sometimes eleventh. Um, and the only issue then is uh, getting qualified teachers right. in those positions because that's considered social studies. So then. To be a social studies teacher, you have to pass the praxis test, and that's a very broad social studies mm-hmm. test. You got to do economics and U.S. history and world history and no Hawaiian history. Wow. So it's like a catch twenty two. Uh-huh. Either you can pass the praxis or you know Hawaiian history. It's pretty unlikely that you're gonna know both. You you can if you just sort of learn over the years, mm-hmm. but a twenty four year old coming out of university is unlikely to be able to do both of those things. So they're stuck. How do you change that? Well, um, one part that I've done, uh, I was fortunate and and it was kind of an honor to be put as the Hawaiian history lead on um, writing the new standards. So the standards are rewritten. It wasn't myself alone, Mm -hmm. but um, there were uh, there was a group of us. And so you know that's 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 one piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. the next puzzle the next piece is curriculum mm-hmm. so on that front i'm on sabbatical right now mm-hmm. from komemeha so you know a lot of people say i'm on sabbatical when they <laughs> right. got kicked out of something or uh, they got fired but i'm really on You're sabbatical really um to write a hawaiian history textbook and it's uh, we're pretty close to a contract with wow. komemeha publishing it's it's a going to happen because the, fir- the so first I heard about it I was I was pretty amazed not a lot of people can be like yeah I went to my friend's TED talk <laughs> right yeah. and you talked about rewriting the Hawaiian history book and I was like wow yeah and I needed a sabbatical to finish that up it, it can't really be done in the you know after school <laughs> so where do you start well, I mean whenever I have conversations with people I will say well where did your historical clock start yeah in a history book of Hawaii like where do you start yeah like straight kumulipo or yeah, mine is cool. No way. <laughs> and wow. partly that's because that's um, when you talk about growing up with uh-huh. your parents and what do they teach about culture. My mother's research for 35 years was on Kumulipo. Wow. And it never quite got completed. So I'm just starting to try to think about how to take that back up. And one way I can start is to start the textbook with that. And um, my first post in the uh, on my blog uh, on this series, Mo'olelo series, mm-hmm. I call it, was Kumulipo, just right. to start at the starting point. That's just deep in and of itself. So you're actually, so now this history book, when when done and published, just for Hawaii, or like you're going to be like, we're going to send this out to all these other schools on the main, on the continent and be like, no, this is it. No, just for Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I mean, the it's about um, 200,000 kids in the DOE and, you know, uh, a tenth of them are taking uh, one of the Hawaiian history classes. Wow. Uh, so a fifth of them are taking some kind of Hawaiian history at any at any given time. So it's a it's a big enough market. Wow, and, uh, that's yeah. an amazing feat. <laughs> so when I when I was watching your TED talk, I was just like, wow, because you don't think about those. You you don't think about the people that write these scholastic books. I mean, yeah. from that, I'm just like, wow, my friend is going to do that. Amazing. So. What trips me out as we wrap up is that from you and I sweeping parking lots <laughs> with coconut frogs. No, to, don't forget the weed whackers. <laughs> I know. We, we thought we were the best. I mean, people hate us. And then we, we graduated to blowers, yep. right? Yep. And the things we did at Lahaina Luna um, that people would just be like, what the heck? And 
And it's almost as though you think about, it's like, oh, these Lahaina Luna borders, hmm, I don't think they're going too many places, right? And then what you've accomplished today, I think is very important because um, like a previous show, they said it doesn't matter where we come from, we just know where we're going. So um, huge, huge congratulations to you and all, all the things that you're doing. Um, before we leave, one thing you can say to people about culture, whatever it is, whether it's ethnic, native, um, or social. What? I, I actually looked up an anthropological definition of culture before the show. <laughs> That's so you. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it's really, um, but what really strikes me about it is that uh, culture is made up of those things that are assumed. Mm. So in that way, culture is often invisible. Those things that you do and you didn't, that you don't think about. So if we're talking about culture, then you have to start thinking about those things and are those the right things to be doing? You know, as we move into a, a time where things are very uncertain, we have to start questioning those assumptions, you know, should we change some of the cultural, uh, parts of local culture, for example, um, even something like driving cars, that's trucks and things like that. It's pretty much part of lo local <laughs> right. culture, but can how long can we continue? So I think that's where uh, the, the, the tipping point of um, thinking about culture and moving into the future is at. Wow. Well, amazing. Again, uh, Dr. Umi Perkins, thank you very much for being here, sharing your manao, your iki, your knowledge, um, educating. That's what it's all about. We want to share a culture on, on every level. Uh, we got to thank Star Advertiser for giving us a venue to hang out and, and sit with friends and special guests, learn culture, share culture, uh, uh, as I say, preserve, uh, perpetuate, and practice. Uh, also got to thank Jams World. Uh, you sh I think I'm going to get you some of these. With these, you know, we're, you're going to try to pull them off. And your kids will be like, <laughs> Dr. Umi, right? But uh, one of the great things about Jams World, there's there's causes to their shirt. So, like, mm. this shirt specifically proceeds go to food banks. So, we've got to thank them for it. we got to thank uh, Kappa Kava as well. So, um, continued success. Uh, it was always good to see you, and we'll see you soon. Mo'olelo uh, Hawaii History is on Facebook. Uh, Umiverse on WordPress. Yep. Where else can we find you? Or you don't are, want us oh, to. Um, YouTube channel, uh, just my name, Umi Perkins. I like it. Again, thank you very much. Uh, so again, once uh, thank you for joining us for Culture Rise. Always remember, whatever your culture is, make sure you're doing something to make it rise and stay risen. Yeah, so Kamehameha IV, he, uh, there, he, 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 he fell prey to a rumor that his wife was having an affair with his secretary. With, you know, they had male secretaries at the time. And so um, he believes this rumor and he shoots the secretary. Henry Nielsen was the name. Wow. And then, then they find out that the rumor is not true. And, uh, and then, um, but the friend doesn't die from the shooting. He lives for two more years and then he finally dies. So King Kumemba the, the fourth feels really, really horrible about this. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of tragic because then right around that time, then his son dies and then he dies uh, soon after. And that's why Emma's nickname became Kaleleo Nalani, the flight of the chiefs. No way. Her, I had no idea. Her son and her husband like flew away. Yeah. Wow. Felt. So how do, who, who started that rumor, do you think? It's, no, we it, don't know. Because <laughs> I'm thinking who's it's got to be it's some opposition, of course or just somebody was like, I don't like that guy. 
Now, that was about the time when they started talking about uh, annexation and um, starting a republic, getting wow. rid of the monarchy, <laughs> right around that time. That, those, that's a great story of another one of those what ifs.